This episode was recorded on Wajak Noongar Buja, and we like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This land has always been, and will always be, Aboriginal land. Kaya, Wanju, hello and welcome to the Youth Pride Network podcast, Queer And. My name's Hannah, my pronouns are they, them, and on this podcast, we sit down with LGBTIQA plus people from our community and talk about their experience of being queer. For our final episode of season one of Queer And, we sat down with some incredible queer elders from Grey, or GLBTI Rights and Aging Inc., discuss their experience of being a queer elder. These guests include Carl, Jilly, David, Jim, and their partner Keith, who were interviewed by myself, Shania, and Shai. Hey, just a little heads up and content warning before we get started in today's episode. We discuss some pretty heavy topics, including self-harm and suicidality, and a couple of our guests share some pretty raw emotions. So if you're having a tough day, today might not be the day to listen to this episode, but we hope you're taking care of yourself and maybe get a chance to listen to it another day. Okay, let's go. Uh, my name is Shania. I'm a Gomori person. My pronouns are they, she, um, and I identify as queer slash lesbian. My name is Cheyenne. My pronouns are she, her. Um, my star sign is also Taurus and I identify same as Shania as queer slash lesbian. Hello, interesting. I'm, hello, I'm Carl. Um, I'm a Scorpio, mild, calm, controlled <laughs> <laughs> um, and I identify as he, him. I am, my name is Jilly and my pronouns are she, her and I'm a Virgo and I don't think I'm a particularly typical Virgo. I'm feeling like I'm bracketed between you two because I'm Libra. Um, David, he, him. Uh, I identify, it's really interesting. So I identify as pansexual, but I'll often just be saying I'm bisexual because it's a lot easier than trying to explain it to people. Well, I'm Jim Morrison. Uh, he, he, um, he, them. Libra. Uh, queer. Well, my mob, uh, well, obviously Noongar, but. Uh, there are a range of Noongars, Minang for me, and Gurang, which is around the southwest. Keith, um, my um, real name is is uh, Shimin Ben Shiminsky Jabanowski, but I don't actually use it much. My professional name is Keith Bodman, and um, you're probably he them, uh, although uh, he him at the moment, but people do move. Uh, their uh, their preferences depending on their uh, life circumstances, I think. Um, and um, uh, I live in Western Australia. I originally come from from Queensland. Um, I'm a first generation Australian, um, Polish and um, Russian and German ancestry. Um, uh, Jewish, uh, Ashkenazim. Um, <laughs> well, it's a real melting pot uh, when my husband is uh, is a Noongar and uh, I thought we were an old um, people uh, until um, I've added another 65,000 years of experience to my 3,600. <laughs> yeah. Quite a job. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's an amazing blend. Uh, Aquarius, which I, I believe is the um, most frequent star sign of mass murderers. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm, I'm queer. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an older word. No, no, a lot of, um, of people uh, don't like it, but uh, it's, a, it's kind of a friendly word uh, at our age anyway. Um, so uh, I'm 74. Uh, and Jim's close to 70. <laughs> well, I suppose the relevance of queer for me is that when 
I was patron of Pride, we initiated the Queers for Reconciliation. And that was more convenient to have Queers for Reconciliation on the wristband as opposed to LGBTQA plus in that time. So, um, and it just was something that stuck with the people I was associated with at that time. And uh, so Queers for Reconciliation, Q4R, got some good um, airing, I suppose, with with the that development because I really thought Pride was, um, I don't think they were serious about the First Nation queer bit or or patron of pride. So it was around just um, ensuring that the queer community understood what the difficulty was for First Nation people and recognised common ground. So that was really quite an episode where we had a lot of um, queers, whether they be lesbian or bi or whatever category, come together and talk through some of the issues around our unity, our common ground, and I guess understanding more what First Nation people were going through. So it was quite a successful little episode there over a couple of years. It's fantastic. So I was really thrilled with that, and and probably more so now of what we're seeing in, in some outcomes with our community. Do you want to talk a little bit about your coming out experience and how you found that? I th- yeah, look, this is Carl again. Um, for me, I think I always knew I was gay, but I didn't know what gay was. Um, I was brought up in an orphanage for a lot of my life and I did suffer sexual abuse, which is something I've dealt with and moved on from. But I guess I sought out male affection in my younger years because you didn't have affection. Um, so becoming a younger male adult, I it was difficult. It was a long time ago that I actually came out. This is going back in the 1960s. So it was a very different coming out experience in learning who I was and where I belong in that society. And so therefore I never saw myself as effeminate but I never saw a male gay character. So it took me a while to figure out exactly who I was. But when I did, there was no stopping me. Yeah, I've had multiple coming out experiences, which was kind of complicated. I um, fell in love with my housemate when I was perhaps 23 or so. And we ended up having um, a 10-year relationship. And so that was when I identified as lesbian and I was young and I'd come from a very churchy background where sex was taboo and we would get lectured on how it was only appropriate to hold hands and not do anything else until marriage and it hadn't crossed my mind that I could be lesbian. I wasn't somebody who sort of connected very much with wanting to get married and have children but it was just not on my radar so it it kind of blew me out of the water And then I struggled a whole lot with my internalised homophobia. Um, I confided with one of my sisters who reckoned she'd already spotted it. I don't know whether she had, but anyway, she was a safe spot to land. And then I went about kind of coming to terms with it for the next year or so before my partner decided that she was going to move to Tasmania and I could come with her or not. And so then I ended up having to ring my mum and say, could we have a chat? And could we go for a walk? And we went for a walk and I told her and um, that was sort of okay. And as a result of that, ultimately, she decided to leave the church because the church said 
she could either, um, you know, well, her, her choice was that she could either love me or be in the church, and she chose to wow. leave the church, which was huge. But fast forward a bit, and after that relationship ended, I found myself falling in love with a fella, which was a hell of a shock, um, <laughs> totally not what I expected. And although that was a brief relationship, I then went on and got married to a man. And so it was like, okay, well, what am I now? And, you know, I had that experience of the whole world seeing me as straight and kind of coming to terms with, am I bisexual? Am I quite what? And I've never really liked the labels. So now I kind of recognise I'm more attracted to women than to men, but I'm also more attracted to people often through emotional connection than sexual, but not always. And I'm often more attracted to intelligence than anything else. And I'm not solely attracted to male or female. So when you've asked earlier what identification I had, it's like, that's really hard. I don't like, I don't like, um, like you, um, I don't like the words of, I don't like pansexual very much and people don't get it. And I feel like bisexual is, doesn't feel right either, even though it kind of is. Mm. So a long story, but it's a bit complicated. So now I probably feel in my head queer, stroke lesbian probably, but queer was so stigmatised and I really struggle. So I tend to write just LGBTIQA plus on things and go, they can work it out if they want to get to know me, they can have the conversation. Um, for me, I think it's it's the case that, you know, that many bisexual people have is that they see... When, when society looks at you, they see you just through a heteronormative lens. So if I'm with a woman, they assume I'm straight. If I'm with a man, they assume I'm gay. And having to explain that I'm bisexual is, you know, is a constant sort of explanation. So I first came out when I was 16, told a, a close friend of mine um, at school. And in that classic bi-erasure way, he was like, oh, David, you're gay. You just don't know it yet. And I'm like, oh. I think I like all the bits, but, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> and then I had uh, 23 years of marriage. I have five kids. And so when my marriage ended on, on you know, on, on pretty good terms, um, you know, my ex-wife and I were ringing all of our children who are adults. And I was like in the mindset and I had, go back a little bit, I had told my ex-wife when I proposed to her that I'd been with men. And so it was, you know, it wasn't a surprise to her, but I was thinking, okay, I'm going to start dating again. It's a very different world to what it was when I was dating earlier. Um, but I'll probably date guys as well as girls. And I needed my kids to know that. So then I was coming out to my, my own kids. And so that was a, uh, a very different experience as well. And I think, you know, the common experience we have, whether we, you know where we sit on the age spectrum, is that you know coming out is very rarely a one-off event. You know we're constantly doing it. We're doing it in a new job, in a new school, uh, moving you know into a, a new accommodation type arrangement. There's you know coming out is something that um, we do in lots of different ways and at different times. And frankly, it's tiring. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier as you get older. I, I I have a funny story that doesn't work on a podcast, but um, when I came out to my mum, both my parents are deaf. And um, I didn't come out to my parents until, um, you know, um, well, very recently in the last couple of years. And I did the sign, the deaf, uh, the Auslan sign for coming out, which is sort of opening your arms across your chest and you're opening out. And my mother looked at them and went, what's that sign? And I said, well, coming out. Why? I said, oh, you know, closet. You know, w why? And so then I had to explain the whole background to coming out. She's <laughs> hearing people are stupid. Like, you know, why, why do you have all this, you, you know, and it was this, I'm like, oh God, it's just easy. I'm bisexual. Okay. You know, I just left it at that. So it was this real anticlimactic moment of me being so nervous and telling. 
and then just having to go through the linguistics of it as to why in a sign it is. So, yeah. Well, probably difficult. I think I went through a period of, <clears throat> of self-harm and that was difficult to comprehend. But probably more importantly, I, I realised who I was, what I was, even though I probably upset some people. Um, well, I was married at the time had three children, so that was difficult for, you know, the lady then um, and something she's quite accepted now. But coming out was a difficult journey because I think a lot of First Nation straight people couldn't quite fathom what the queerdom was about. And in coming to appreciate that, they they realised that we weren't, I wasn't, um, feminine or going to dress up because that's what they thought I'd, they'd see me in a frock. Oh, no. So it was quite a, um, a challenging task of getting to know who my friends were, who my friends weren't, and how eventually that came around um, for them to accept me for what I was. And in that time, I mean, you know, you're talking more than 40 years ago, Yes, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And that proved to be difficult time and it's just not like it is today. And I think I see some conflicts with that, with my son coming out recently and marrying his boyfriend. Oh, wow. And I, I, I saw how that compared to what I went through. And it's really a blessing, uh, a blessing for... I think younger people now to be more accepting than what they were 40 years ago. Mm. Is it 40 years ago? Yes. So how old were you when you came out? 28, 26, oh, wow. 27, around then. Yeah, it's really challenging. Already had a really established family dynamic and community and then to just yeah, shake everything up took, took a lot of courage. And, uh, you know, yes, it, it did. And that didn't bother me at all. I didn't care what people thought. And... At that point, I was doing a lot of stuff in the First Nation Noongar community anyway. So there was, um, you know, the challenge was doing what I did and that was a lot of events and couldn't give a shit what people thought <laughs> of me. And, and it was like, well, here I am, take me as I am. If you can't accept it, that's not my problem. Mm -mm. So I went through those sorts of, sorts of things and I, and I think... Um, you could tell how the, the straight First Nation people were. You could, you could see how they were responding and eventually they came around. So it was, it was a tough one. But mm, no, it's, um, it just, it's something to, I guess, strengthen your uh, character. So I, I, I don't see it as a problem anymore. Then I did. Um, <clears throat> I guess the self-harm issues probably alarm people too. Thank you for sharing. I'm really glad that you managed to came up and that you <coughs> were able to have such like courage and, and unashamed sort of pride and that you're able to come out the other side of it as authentically you. I, I, and I think there's a lot more work to do because mm. I, I appreciate that there's a high suicide rate between First Nation people. Mm. And I'm not going to come out categorically and say there's a problem here with your identity because mm. there probably is because they're Aboriginal, mm. let alone having feelings for same sex. And I think there needs to be a study done on that, on, on what what sort of um, issues that First Nation people are, 
are dealing with mm. and why they're self-harming. Mm. I, I think it's quite a, could be quite a challenging uh, research. Mm. Big area to cover that's really mm. not been explored. <coughs> well, it's not just First Nation people. I think a lot of, you know, what do we call you, mainstream? <laughs> The dominant culture, <laughs> what what your your young young people have have gone through, I think is the same thing, and that probably differs to what happened forty years ago and what it, what's happening now. Mm. And I think I think um, broader Australia is is more accepting now, and, and we've gone through the um, you know the referendum around marriage equality, and I think that's probably eased up a little mm. and um, given given um, younger people more of a more of a um, more encourage, encouragement, empowerment. Mm. Uh, mind you, there's still the homophobes out there and that's not going to go away. The, the marriage equality didn't change all that. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I think a lot... Uh, I think our young queer community now will will go th- through that knowing full well that majority of others, mm. whether they're straight or whatever, will be more accepting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, actually, I I didn't come out uh, until I was about sixty. Wow! <laughs> wow! It's <laughs> uh, amazing. I, I had a, a queer life, um, but not come out um, for probably around about fifteen years before that. And um, uh, like Jim, I was married. I was married for quite a long period of time. I had adult children when I came out, and. Um, when I did, uh, my daughter said to me, Dad, she said, uh, you're Jewish, you're now queer, and you're marrying a black man. She said, did you have a disability as well? And I said, well, <laughs> yes, your mother, love. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that was my coming out experience. And um, uh, like, like Jim, uh, it, even um, that short period of time ago, really, um, I um, uh, was uh, managing a, a TAFE college um, uh, at that time or prior to that time and the, um, there are a number of students who were heavily victimised by the other student body and, um, and um, probably by the majority of, of, of teachers um, because they were overtly um, queer um, and um, that included, unfortunately, a couple of transsexual uh, people. Um, luckily, my librarian um, was, um, or is, <laughs> a lesbian. She's on the third wife at the moment, though, I think. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's librarians for you. They're always quiet. And <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> and uh, we, we gave her a room at the back of the library where she could protect people until um, somebody responsible would uh, would come. But uh, oh, yeah, wow. we we had we had bashings. But as Jim said, it's it's um, it seems to be a lot easier now. A, a lot of people are a lot more um, relaxed. Um, I have a queer brother, and he basically went overseas uh, where uh, he uh, polylingual. He could. Um, um, you know, live in a different sort of a community, and uh, I did pretty much the same. I went to New York and uh, got involved with the um, with the Jewish community there. And uh, there's an immense spectrum of, of uh, acceptance to non complete non acceptance in uh, in that in that community. Yeah, and I mean, the religion would come into it massively. 
the religion comes into it uh, enormously, and there, but interpretation. Um, uh, we, we know, you know, that's why they call synagogue shul. <laughs> it's uh, uh, you get three rabbis in a room, and you know they've got around about six different points of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're not going to get the same one twice. Oh, uh, I guess Christians are the same. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Well, I'm I'm glad you. Yeah, after all those years, you were able to come out and be fully authentically you as well, and it felt good to come out finally. Oh, it was it was marvelous to come out. Um, should have done it years ago, but I hadn't met the right man at that stage of the game, and uh, I have now. Oh, <laughs> so you were the catalyst, Jim? Well, I I don't think he's covered any of it. That's really more important. And uh, and will you, you know, having to be assessed by the rabbi, <laughs> it kicked you out. You know, yeah. I think that's that's quite relevant to your coming out. That, that, that's a that's Australia. Um, I'm, I'm, I really don't want to get involved in the uh, in rabbinic rabbinical politics in in Australia, but um, it's a, it's an extremely fractured community. Yeah. Uh, well, it, 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 well, I, I guess Christianity is too, but we've had twice as long to stuff it up. <laughs> <laughs> to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. What is your most favourite part about your identity? Wow, that's a really big one. Um, you know, that has changed as I have grown and got older. And the favourite part of my identity is now knowing who I am you know, as a human being and being accepting of other human beings. Treat me well, I will treat you well. So, yeah, I'm happy being who I am. That's probably my favourite part now. I, I really like that and it resonates with me as well. I think I'm at a point in my life where, you know, for so long I was always worried about what other people were thinking of me. You know, did I did I look mask enough? Did I act straight enough? Did I act gay enough? You know, wherever I was. Now I'm just at a point where it's just like I my favourite part is that I'm so comfortable with me that I can be comfortable with other people. And I think that's really influenced um, how I accept people. I had a real problem with people who were faith-based um, and just, you know, whereas now I'm like, that's your thing. It's not mine, but I can accept that, yep. you know, that's a thing for you and it's your valid experience um, and it's not my place to take away from it. Whereas for a long time, I wanted to be the antagonist to, do you know how bad and you know, are you aware and et cetera. Whereas now it's like, no, I think I'm a lot more comfortable with who I am. So accepting is my favourite thing. Yeah, I feel like I've reached that point too and that does feel fantastic but I don't feel like I've got there only through coming to terms with my um, sexuality or uh, or even coming to terms with the rest of my life. I've had a really interesting last 12 months and picked up first an ADHD diagnosis and then six months later an autism diagnosis. And now I go at the tender age of 55, I actually have all of the pieces of who I am. And I actually get it. It all makes sense now. And I understand my experiences of being other and feeling other and not being understood. Never felt clear enough um, f just from that I 
was not straight. That that didn't quite cut it and I didn't quite fit in some of those circles and I totally fitted in others and now I get it and now I'm at peace. And so I got myself a beautiful celebratory tattoo two weeks ago for the very first tattoo to celebrate the fact that I finally got all the pieces together and I know who I am. So I out and proud in all my identities now. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So for podcast purposes, it yeah. is an infinity symbol, which is multicoloured, but it's mostly bisexual colours, blue and pink and um, purple. Um, and it's also got a butterfly. And so the sort of the rainbow um, infinity symbol is often an autism one, recognising all the divergence in the spectrum. And butterfly can be a... ADHD one, the flitter-flutter thing, but I've also been called butterfly by many people who have loved me along the way. And I feel like it's also that whole thing of spreading my wings. So it's a colourful, mostly pink, um, bright butterfly. And that's my last chapter, whatever this next chapter of my life is. I'm going into knowing all of that and owning all of that and understanding finally why I am how I am. And it's all interwoven. At, at the at the moment, it's um, it's peace and um, uh, not having to um, code shift as much as I did. Um, you know, like Jimmy had to code shift because he was queer and Aboriginal, and it's it, it takes quite an effort. Um, so some part of your mind adapts, and uh, you move quickly from one persona uh, to another. Um, and uh, I had to I had to do the same. Um, to the extent that I was telling people when I first started getting jobs uh, after university was that I was Catholic because I couldn't think of anything more extreme. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I did quite a good Catholic act for for many years. Too. Wow! <laughs> because it was easier to code shift into a lie than it was into um, into real life. Mm. Mm. Code shifting, it's a, switching is a big thing even now. You know, oh. for sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and uh, I mean it. It, it it's um, um, it, it 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 puts you into a um, a spot that's um, more secure, uh, more protected. Um, you think, um, but I don't have to do it at all now. Well, I'm a member of the oldest living culture on the planet. <laughs> How's that for <laughs> starting? <coughs> I don't know how um, it would have been perceived BC before Cook. I have some ideas around that, some theories, <coughs> but my uh, queerness is probably safe now. I don't think there's a, a necessity to code switch. It depends whether you're with a predominantly uh, straight, uh, straight society or queer society. And even then, I don't think I, I code switch. You know, I am what I am and I don't have to be queer. Um, so I'm safe within that. What is there that I enjoy? I think that it's probably the, the security I enjoy when regardless of whether I'm in a queer, with a queer community or um, an Aboriginal community. I don't have any pretenses about being queer with First Nation people and I don't, you know, it's not tattooed on my forehead, so to speak, People know or they don't know, and I don't care whether they do know or not. So I, I guess I'm now um, feeling secure in my identity as being a queer First Nation man. And I think that was reinforced more recently when I became NADOC elder of the local region, 
and that was judged by straight First Nation people. <laughs> and in fact, I I, I I must say, though, that during the event, it made me feel there was some uncertainty because I felt in the room there may have been some homophobe comments or behaviour. And maybe there was, but and maybe there wasn't. But I'm thinking, well, the, the NAIDOC committee have have made this decision, do the audience, do the community like it? And, th- and that all was, it all spoke for itself when the applause happened and they liked what I said. And <laughs> so I, I, guess, um, I guess my reputation probably outshone my queerness mm. to the point where people, because I've won several NAIDOC awards. I've been Community Person of the, of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. There's been three NAIDOC awards. So, but this one was more important being the age that I am and probably very few First Nation queer people in the room and being an elder for the First Nation people but probably also being viewed as a queer elder. So I hadn't really thought of it that way but more in, I was more concerned about just what people are thinking um, a queer man is is elder, what, what are their, what's their attitude around queerness and what's their attitude about being an elder? And I've, you know, I've, I've had many occasions since to address that, but not, not in the queer community. I've been recognised and I suppose encouraged in the, in the, in the First Nation community as being who I am. And I mean, there's, several events coming up, but I guess the the queerness of my being is now being, um, it's a critical time because of what the nation is going through around the referendum. And that should have really shaken me up to understand the, you know, what the, the um, I guess what we're about to lose if it's a no vote. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the the social emotional well-being of First Nation people is at risk here, mm. and that's probably something that the ninety-six percent would never understand. So I think it's a, a difficult time. So it's it's t- it's it's a time when I need to have a good good stock of what, what I'm doing, mm. um, because I you know I there's a dependency out there from a lot of people to the work I do and. If I don't hang in there and, and be strong for them, I'm probably going to go under. Mm. And being queer helps you feel that security. <laughs> sorry. No, please don't be sorry. <laughs> well, I guess that speaks for itself. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot at stake at the moment and yet yeah. your thoughts is, are really, really valuable. So let's, let's just go back a bit then. So it is, um, I think, the, the relevance of my strength, which <laughs> wasn't shown just then, but no, it, it enables, it, it sees where the, the risks are for, uh, I think, for First Nation people, which they don't quite understand. And that's challenging in that um, First Nation people should know better. And I know where the, the problem is in all of this. So then is the onus is back on 
First Nation people then to advocate more stronger, and we're not we're not resourced to do that. Mm, mm. So the dependency on an under-resourced community is is, I guess, is is paramount at the moment, mm. and we're not. We've got to educate the the ninety six percent to to take this forward, and everyone I speak to, you know, mm. everyone, every non Aboriginal person that represents the ninety six percent, there's there is a keenness to do that, and I don't hear too many of the no voters, or they're not within my, you know, within my society just now, or not within my community. Mm. Certainly, there is the non-voters that are First Nation people, but that's something we've got to deal with mm. and hopefully we've got time to convince them. Definitely. Because I won't be as strong as I am now if there's a no vote. No. It's simple. Mm. 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 I would hope that the queer, the Q4R, the Queers for Reconciliation movement will spread the vibe or spread the word within the queer community to be fully understanding of the disadvantages that First Nation people have because, you know, we're together to a degree and in 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 that's where that common ground comes in. Um, do you want to talk through some of the challenging parts about coming to terms with your identity? Yeah, well, in terms of part of what's been challenging for me, I think, is that with the ADHD and autism thing, they both mask each other beautifully mm. and so... The bit of me that gets bored witless and is always seeking new stimulation doesn't look like I'm autistic needing structure, but I do. And the bit of me that's autistic and can be really ordered doesn't look like I'm completely chaotic and I've been successful in careers, but I have not been long-lasting in lots of them and I've certainly I've got profoundly burnt out, um, had a major period of being burnt out um, and had to completely change occupations and things along the way. So... So that's been really challenging. But also I think I was born into a family where there was a lot of marital conflict and I was frightened of that. I only found out um, a couple of months ago that when my parents were fighting, I used to run outside and my older sister, who was two and a half years older than me, used to run outside and come and comfort me. And I learnt that to be safe in that household, part of what I needed to do was be quiet and not speak. And then I also learnt that in you know, the early 90s, and I was living in Tasmania by then, it wasn't safe to be out. It was, it was violently awful, um, the kind of um, dynamic, particularly for gay men, but I was sort of involved in some advocacy at that time. That wasn't safe, so I was hidden there. And then now I also understand that I had the neurodivergent layer where I didn't fit in. And so I, I have spent a lifetime not showing people who I am and one of the consequences of that is that people can't like you and love you if they can't see you. And if you're not showing who you are, then you can't be liked and loved for who you are. And so that it's a really painful price, I think. And I can now look back and see the impact of my lack of knowledge um, on my past relationships. I've had conversations with my partners, ex-partners and you know, there's been actually very, really healing to be able to frame it and have a language now to understand what actually happened for us and to us. You know, it was not all of it, of course, but it was a part of it. And so, yeah, that's that was a challenge. Interesting one, isn't it? To sort of explore those little challenges in your life and that come away. And I guess that's for the future of anyone growing up is the fact of accepting those little 
moments in your life, and you will have moments in your life that different revelations will come to the fore, and it depends on your own particular choices as well in that. You know, so yeah, I, I see that as something that some, we all have these little moments that are going to come forth, and it's going to change how you look at things and view the world and view the people around you. I remember learning uh, this would have been mid mid nineteen nineties. That question about coming out, you know, we come out every day. Do you come out to the grocer? Do you come out to the... And you make assessments about whether or not this relationship is worth investing the sharing of yourself balanced against your energy on the day. And I remember being at some, you know, communal art class or something. I don't even remember what it is now. But something where I just thought, I'm not going to see this person again. When they said, you know, when I might have said my partner without any pronouns, they said he, mm-hmm. and and I just let it go. And sometime later, it became really clear that we were actually going to become friends, not that day, but having let that moment pass, there was then an untruth from not speaking mm. that I had to correct. And, like, that was, yeah, yes. it was just that bit that, I mean, we've, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've all had it. Yeah, yes. And, and I think that's the often the challenge. It's what we don't say. Um, and what's, you know, and I liked your, your analysis there of the, the energy we have in the moment, you know, cause there are times when we're just like, you know what, it's just not worth it. Um, but that doesn't, you know, by not saying it doesn't mean that it's not true and it doesn't mean that it's not necessary and, or, or valued. It's just at right at this point in time, I don't need to have that discussion. And, and we do, you know, we judge people. It's, it's human nature to, to do a quick threat assessment of the room and kind of look around and go, who looks like me? Who's, you know, and it's, I never realised the value of just having a rainbow pin or something like that until I um, was listening uh, to some speakers who were talking about they'd been on a mine site and they saw um, a person with a rainbow pin on their, you know, their high vis and they thought to themselves, this place is safe. And I personally wouldn't think of a mind site as being a safe place for a LGBTQIA plus person, but they was like, okay, there's someone else. And whether that person was identifying or, you know, an ally, um, it's, I think those things are, you know, there's a lot of value in that. Um, for, for me, just on that, and it's, it's just something I recently um, just provided a submission to the Royal Commission on Veteran Suicide. And a large part of that was just reflecting back on my experience in the military as a, you know, as a young bisexual man when homosexuality was not allowed in the army. And I, I didn't process a lot of that internalised homophobia that I carried with me um, for a long, long time. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, what I'd like to share is that, it, you know, when the time is right, you can process whatever you've lived through. We don't have to do it in the moment. And and often, you know, we feel that, oh, you know, I, I've experienced this trauma. I need to work it through. And sometimes, you know, putting it in a box and leaving it, and my therapist will hate me saying this, but it, that's that's valid. And coming back to it 30 years later is, is also valid and unpacking that and understanding why and how, you know, I feel certain ways is is really powerful. It wasn't even don't say gay. It was don't look gay. I, I got – I I was um, – during a route march with my platoon, I was an officer and a Land Rover turned up and they said, oh, we need to talk to you in brigade headquarters. And I just thought it was admin, you know, and I jumped in the Land Rover um, and then they were taking me to the military police building 
and it was accusations. It was um, I, I look back on it now, and um, with the hindsight of you know thirty plus years, I can see the damage that it did to a young twenty-two year old man. Um, and you know, it took a long time. It took a long time to unpack that. The army for me was the best thing that could happen to you know. Uh, a young kid who had disabled parents um, who was very poor um, and didn't see any options. So, you know, for me, that was a path to, you know, and I'm grateful for it. It has given me so many skills that I've used forward, um, you know, in my life. But um, it did a lot of damage that I really just didn't process for a long period of time. And, um, and I think we can find the good in everything, but we have to accept that where we've been hurt, we need to, when we're ready, deal with that. Mm. Oh, beautiful. I think some of the code switching uh, issues uh, probably need to, we could tease out a little. And I mean, I know Keith has said a couple of times, well, when there is a difference, um, you know, he falls back on that. It's a fallback for him. Mm. It's a cultural difference. Mm. And I don't think we've ever really teased that out enough. Um, and there may be some similarities between... But, uh, well, there are. There are some amazing, profound similarities, but we won't talk about that today. It, and and that, that I, I guess, brings about um, an affinity of the, the traumas that each groups have faced. And that in itself is, is really important to, uh, I guess, develop the relationship further, even if it hasn't been now. I mean, there's there's issues there that I guess bring traumatised people together that allows that. It's a building block, really, and it's not over yet. I mean, what the relationship has endured, I think, is that's, that's, that synergies that existed between our different groups or cultures or whichever way language you want to use has allowed a better understanding of, of what what the world has gone through. And I suppose from from Keith's point of view, not that I want to speak for him, he's that's allowed him to be more understanding of the issues that First Nations people in this country have dealt with and still will deal with. I guess we'll, you know, if there is a no vote, we'll just have to leave the country. Um, and I'm thinking of Ireland because... I'm finding some Irish ancestry there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not thinking of Russia. <laughs> so it might be that, um, I don't know, I, I guess the, the and it's a terrible thing to think about. I mean, the, the trauma in, in different lives, how that can consolidate relationships maybe. Um, I mean, it's, you hear the expression, you know, cheese and chalk. Well, what is this, chalk and chalk? Uh, cheese and cheese. Cheese and, cheese and cheese. The, so therefore, you know, and I've heard there's a lot of, um, I suppose, thinking around um, damaged people attract other damaged people. It's not about cheese and chalk. Mm. And I've seen that with stolen generation people and child migrants, for example. Mm. There seems to be a synergy between that removal and how that might bind relationships. Mm. I can see how it could really upset a relationship too because how can traumatised people come together and, and have a happy life? Mm. 
you know, and I and that might be the the building of a relationship where the where the trauma is perhaps a central ingredient where you you work through and overcome that, mm. and maybe life will get better, better for all because we're you know we're both supporting uh, perhaps the most disadvantaged group of people in Australia, which are stolen people. The um, problem that. Um uh, Aboriginal community is facing at the moment uh, with the uh, no yes vote. Um, it's it's uh, it's fracturing uh, not only the Aboriginal community in the relationship with uh, with non-Aboriginal communities. It's it's placing a, a great deal of strain uh, on people, um, and uh, there's a lot of equivalence um, with the uh, with the feelings uh, that uh, happened uh, during the marriage equality era. Um, when the sky was going to fall down, people were going to marry their dogs, and and all the rest of it, um, all that sort of rubbish that uh, and the same lies and and uh, misconceptions are, are happening at the moment. But uh, they're, they're impinging on 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 relationships even within families um, in the Aboriginal community. Um, it's uh, it's a it's, it's it's not a good time. I'll be glad when uh, when it's settled to some degree, but. Um, you know, there'll be a huge disadvantage uh, the uh, Aboriginal people and the services, uh, human services um, sector if, uh, if this doesn't happen because there, there, there's so many parts of the community that um, don't get heard and uh, well, that's the same with the queer community. Um, mm. um, a lot of, well, people don't understand it uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of division. It's interesting that Jim and I have started an organisation. Well, I started and it's been around for a while now. Uh, it was a hub and spoke, um, and it was um, so we have um, we have um, people within the community with uh, with common interests, and that's the hub. And then we have people that share those common interests, but hate each other's guts. <laughs> 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 uh, they're out on the hub, and it, it worked quite well. And it was ta- recently taken up. Uh, by I think it was Gray, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gray yeah. took it up. Yeah, uh, because lesbians weren't necessarily interested in, in what the <laughs> the gays were interested in what, what the what the transsexual industry yeah, the um, uh, sector was in, and uh, and so forth. So and uh, I, I think it works for the same reason. Mm. Uh, okay, you can park your problems and let's just talk about things we're all interested in. Mm. 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 <laughs> and uh, I, I think I think uh, you know part of that is 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 Jim's relationship. Um, well, our relationship is that um, yeah, we're, we're a lot of things that are completely bloody dissimilar, but we certainly have common interests which are each other. Mm. Oh, that's mm. beautiful. Common interests that are each other. How would you feel that your experience is intersectional? Well, at first, I have to admit that I had to really look this word up. It's not something that you use in everyday language, but it has many definitions. For me, I have to sort of say, and breaking it down in some ways, is I am a white, privileged male. So therefore, I then have had to look outside and sort of say, there are so many breakdowns of that. So yes, I had privilege, uh, I had education to a certain point, and I'm white, and so therefore I fitted a norm until I said I was gay. And so that became the point that changed 
how I interacted with people. My career was as a hairdresser, so therefore it was seen that you were gay, but I never saw myself as an out there type of gay person. But I guess what I've learned from looking up this word and thinking about it is that there are so many different types of people out there, not just gay people, the heterosexual people, bi people, whatever you want to use. We are all different and therefore we should just learn to accept that people have individuality. So that's, yeah, that's where I come on that sort of point. Interesting word. I'm going to try and use it in everyday language. (laughs) (laughs) I have an adult daughter who taught me the meaning of that word a few years back again because when I was at uni, we didn't have that. We had critical race theory and critical feminist theory and critical this and that theory, but we hadn't actually worked out that people could be all of those things at Mm. once or some cross-section. Yeah, so I haven't had knowledge of the neurodivergence element of my identity um, until this year, Uh, but I have had a... um, lived with disability for the last decade or so and so I've sort of had awareness of that and I suppose it's just something you see that it's it's choices about whether you can manage to do something on a particular day that your peer group might like the number of women who bloody go um, off with their canoes and they go bushwalking and they go camping and it's like I did some online dating and it was like spot a over 45 lesbian profile that does not have the <laughs> I like going paddling and I like bushwalking and I just sigh like where are they where are my people who want to do craft and do a jigsaw and cuddle the cat you know so and who don't always have the energy to do anything and who understand spoon theory so yeah <laughs> that's my thing <laughs> I um I, I love I love the word, but I also love the fact that we were living the word before it was a word. And, you know, I, I reflect back on the young 16-year-old me who, you know, snuck into Connections and the Red Lion uh, when it was running. And, you know, we went into a place that was safe. And because it was safe, it meant that there were places, you know, there were people there of other races. There were people there of, you know, really diverse appearances. What in my opinion, has been lacking within, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community is that visibility of people with disability. We don't see that and I don't think we're particularly good as a community um, who is aware of being marginalised, of including people um, with disability in our community. And I know, you know, um, coming back to the apps, uh, you know, Grindr is not, not that I'm on it anymore. That's for my husband's sake. I just need to say it. I'm not. <laughs> but when I was on Grinder, um, you know, I had a hashtag there, kind of grinder, because it can be a really negative place. You know, it's a, uh, and, you know, I think gay men are, um, you know, we're not the best, <laughs> um, you know, and it's a shopping list. You know, we're, we're putting down, no, I don't, you know, I don't want any, you know, know this, know that, know this, know that. And it's like, how do I get to know people? How do I find someone? You know, I just want to have a conversation. Um, and so I think that, you know, we we talk about intersectionality often within our community as being a really positive thing, but I think we've got to take a moment and see who's not around the table. Who are we missing and who aren't we including and why not? And what can we do better to include those people, whether it's, you know, divergency, physical disability, um, you know, I, I think we've progressed in a lot of spaces, but I think there's still a lot more to do. I Very might true. jump in on that one as well. And I think I think that we don't even get it right just even just within the sexuality and gender thing. Mm-hmm. You know, 
a lesbian community that will no longer be friends with someone who has a relationship with a man or who transitions mm. to become a man or or any of those things. I mean, it can be brutal. You know, I mean, I fell out of, I suppose, the, the community I grew up with quite happily when I left the church. But when I stopped being in a same-sex relationship, I felt like I lost my entire friendship group at that point in time and I couldn't go out to any of the clubs because they were all, you know, women-only ones and I couldn't bring my partner and that was years ago but I see that happening still. I've seen that happen with young people and I just think we just got to get over ourselves a bit and just recognise that people are people and be kind and, mm. yeah, it's. I feel like that control of you're only in my group if you conform to this sexuality or this gender is no different than the church saying to me I'm only an okay human if I'm mm, straight I don't is, see oh, it I wow. don't see it as any different um, it's you know and I understand why we've been hurt we've been excluded we want to feel safe but I think we don't get it quite right often do you have any advice for your younger self or for younger LGBTIQA plus people I've got to jump in here. Yeah, there's so much advice, but I I, th- I really think that find out who you are. It's not all bad. You hear us talking here about our experiences in life. Be proud of who you are, but enjoy your life. If I could go back in myself, it was, yes, find pleasure in who I am because the person I have become is someone I'm really proud of now. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't get bogged down in all the, the misery of what people are throwing at you. Get on, enjoy your life because along the way you need to make friends and you need to make true friends, not just acquaintances. You need people in your life. And so, yeah, get out there, enjoy your life, respect yourself, respect others would be the advice I'd give myself and any younger person out there. It's not all doom and gloom. There is a wonderful life out there. We live in a great country in many ways, but we need to be vigilant and look after ourselves and look after what people are doing to each other. I like that advice. Mm. I think um, knowing who you are is so very important. For my younger self, I think I would say listen to that quiet voice in your heart that knows knows when things are right or wrong and follow follow your own path there've been times when I've absolutely done that you know and I for example you know I, I chose to have a child when I was in a same sex relationship and I did not know a single soul on the planet who had done that then mm. and then sort of saw that there was you know a magazine in Sydney that showed that there were other women who were having children in same sex relationships but that was that took courage. I was brave, really brave. And then later it became, you know, less rare. And now it's you know, commonplace. But that was one of the best things I ever did. But there have been other decisions I've made where I've thought, oh, I should do, you know, I should stay in this job or I should do this thing. And some of it's been because of pressure from, you know, the family system I grew up in. And it wasn't even people now saying it, but what the voices in my head of what, the, what you should do. And... I think the more you can kind of tune in to your own inner voice and know who you are and make decisions which align with who you are, the happier you end up being. Mm, agree. One thing, can I just add one more thing there for uh, for a lot of younger people, including myself, looking back at myself as a younger person. You, you are not younger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a you man. You are distinguished. I'm a man <laughs> coming to the 70s, in the 70s. But 
um, get to know other people outside of your own circle. That's, that's something I just suddenly thought of. You know, get to know an older gay person, um, an older gay woman or a man or a disabled gay person or someone. Get to know who they are ex- and you'll explore different things about yourself. Get to know other people. Find out who else is out there in the community because you'll learn so much from that and you'll gain so much from that. Younger self, I mean, the, the world has changed though. There's no two ways about that. And any younger person now wouldn't have a clue of the issues we dealt with 40 years ago. Mm. So it is a different space and, you know, marriage equality has come through. So to me is um, it is encouraging young people to pursue their happiness, you know, and if that means having a same-sex relationship, well, so be it. But and you've you've got that clearance now. There's no issues around homophobe as much as there was then. So it is, you know, I guess your loved ones need to be sure of who you are and and what you are and they're the people that are going to see you through. I don't think that was necessary in my case, but eventually there was support from my immediate family and... I think it is about being strong within yourself initially, knowing what you want and then, you know, the rest is, is easier. As long as you're clear in your, own, in your own head where you're at and you might sort of resolve <coughs> that with, with friends of, of the same sex or colleagues that are also queer or LGBTQA um, and then, you know, th- then tackle the other challenges but... To me, the challenges aren't around today like they were 40 years ago. So as long as people are happy within yourself and that that's the, the challenge I had and the issues re- revolving around that, the self-harm issues, I, I can't imagine that they would be the same sort of pressures these days, but I don't think I can categorically say that because suicide is a dreadful thing with young people and if there's... If there is the um, lateral violence or the, the the hate stuff, that I mean, we didn't have the social media that we do now, so there are some other pressures. But I think it's about yourself. Mm. It's about yourself and be yourself, and you know, make sure you know um, your happiness is is you, and it, it's not necessarily the the happiness that could be portrayed through your family. If it's your happiness, and the family will come around. And I think that we're more a civilised society than we were 40 years ago. Social media might help, but it may not. So they're the challenges. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a challenging experience. And I'm really glad that we have people like you and Keith who have been like fighting so hard for 40 years so that it's now so different and people can find their happiness so much quicker and safer as well. Sure. Mm. I have to talk about my son's experience because they, they were dressed in pink. Oh, yeah? And, um, <laughs> and I, 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 I use the analogy for that some 30 years ago I was in Paddy's um, market in Sydney and I picked up an orange suit and it was purely, wasn't so much for gayness but it was just for being standout because Rocking, I do yeah. stage work <laughs> and do, do DJing and karaoke, which I call Noongaroki. <laughs> and and it was just something no, I just wanna just wanna get get people um um to understand that 
Now, I'm a little bit different, but I wouldn't wear pink. It yeah. was orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I made that point to my sons, my son and son-in-law, that good on you for wearing pink. I probably would have, probably would have done something in orange, but and maybe now it could be pink. But so it's just a different world. Mm. It is a different world in how you portray your queerness and and happiness. And uh, they've done it really well. There were only nine of us at a, at the wedding. Oh wow. <laughs> Intimate little ceremony. <laughs> so that was nice. So that was a, that, to me. That's um, I guess the difference in now and then. Mm, mm, mm. Big difference. I don't uh, necessarily think it's safe um, for a, a lot of uh, of young people uh, to um, uh, come out uh, in a range of different circumstances. Um, you know, it, it may not be safe within the family uh, and it may not be safe in the working community um, and uh, and also, you know, studying, um, so schools and so forth, they're very clubby um, and um, it's, it's necessary to evaluate that situation. Um, people don't um, say to your face these days, um, in my experience, um, you know, uh, you know, don't don't, don't make uh, queer jokes and and uh, and um, you know comments which are um, most unsettling. Um, but the, you know, they they may do it behind your back, and it could certainly affect your career. Um, and uh, that's something to worry about. Even in universities, um, uh, there's uh, it's it's not particularly safe. Um, but um, it's most important. You don't isolate yourself. Um, you know the. Uh, I, I'm not sure about social media, um, but um, you know there there are plenty of outreach services uh, with uh, understanding uh, people, um, and some of them um, will be will relate very strongly to your sexuality, um, but uh, the others will um, certainly. Um, you know, put you right in in terms of of, of, um, of talking with other people. Uh, Jim and I um, um, are involved in in collective community healing programs, and it's 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 where people uh, get together um, and and um, and uh, you know discuss issues together. That's particularly important, and it's it's certainly going to be so for um, uh, young 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 people. Um, and I would, uh, I would, I would, my advice would be to do that. Um, now, when Jim and I were growing up, we had absolutely no opportunity of doing those sorts of things. Um, but uh, certainly through social media, you can connect, even if you're, uh, you know, a country boy or girl or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, but you, you, you really do need to um, uh, talk with. With other people, and I certainly found that when I went overseas, uh, you know, where there were people just like me, sort of thing, um, to be able to uh, uh, to be able to connect and think, hey, uh, hey, this is not my problem; this is somebody else's problem. Mm. Mm. <laughs> there are challenges there, I think, though, <clears throat> and that's what we don't have. We don't have safe places for First Nation people. <clears throat> so when we talk about collective healing, it's certainly something that the queer community could tap into by just being having solidarity with others and I think that would work tremendously well if 
if a bit like the Queers for Reconciliation Q4R, if there was a common bond to be investigated a bit more to bring out the best in the queer community and the First Nation people. So I, I, safe places are, are really important to have and the court hotel is not a safe place. No. But there must, there's got to be, you know, the Freedom Centre might be one of those options for young people and there probably needs to be more. So, um, so there, that's that's probably a challenge for us all, I think, that, you know, it's not about um, rave parties or um, parties where, you know, the dangers of drugs and overindulgence mm. come into it. And that seems to be all there is. So I think there needs to be that development of, of safer places for young people to ensure that they are safe and 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 the the environment is created that they can be safe. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, drugs and alcohol are self-medicating um, when you should be uh, uh, sort of communicating and, and, uh, and strengthening yourself. Um. Mm. For me, it's really – that question's really get, uh, through the lens of um, – I've just come back from Korea and uh, I was at a conference there and it happened to be that the weekend that uh, the conference was on, which was for children of deaf adults, was also the Pride weekend in Seoul. And Pride had been cancelled by the Seoul government. Oh, well, sorry, rephrase. The Pride Parade had been cancelled because a church group had taken the booking and it's kind of, if you can imagine using the Perth example, oh, Northbridge is not available for Pride Parade because a church group wants to march through Northbridge. And that happened in North Korea, the, oh, sorry, in South Korea this year. North Korea, nothing's happening. <laughs> but um, so if I was to give some advice to the young, my younger self through that lens, it's don't be complacent. I think a lot of the time, you know, we get to a point where we feel that we've achieved everything, you know, professionally, and we feel that we've, you know, we've got that degree, or I've got that job, I've got that partner, or I've, um, you know, I've bought a car, I've bought a house, whatever it is. Um, it's not about, you know, it's not about, you know, getting there. It's about the journey. And I think that's really important because if we focus on the journey, then we realize that sometimes, you know, um, things slip and we've got to be willing to stand up at those points. I mean, they, there was a pride parade, but it was pride in its truest sense in Seoul. They didn't let the government know. They didn't tell anyone where the location was until 12 hours beforehand. It was a protest. And I think, you know, from the comfort and you know, privilege and luxury of being back here in Perth, you know, we put pride into our diary and we don't expect for a minute that it's, you know, gonna, we're not going to be able to turn up to Northbridge and celebrate. But we can't be complacent. We have to constantly be aware because, you know, it, the world is different and it's constantly changing. And what we went through when it wasn't, uh, oh, sorry, you know, what, um, what we went through when it wasn't legal uh, to be yourself, um, we could easily drop back to that if we, if we are not um, vigilant in that space. And so, you know, for all the freedoms that younger people enjoy today, don't take them for granted. You know, sorry. Um, don't ta oh, pause, David. For all the freedoms that younger people enjoy today, don't take them for granted because they're not guaranteed. Nothing yep. is in life. Yep. And that is a wrap on Season 1 of the Youth Pride Network podcast, Queer And. Thank you so much to all our incredible guests for sharing your stories and your wisdom 
And to everyone that helped us put this show together, you've made this such an incredible experience. The Youth Pride Network is a collective of queer advocates working to make Western Australia a better place for queer young people. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Youth Pride Network. For resources or information on the guests from today's episode, check out the show notes. For feedback or recommendations for upcoming episodes, hit us up via our website, youthpridenetwork.net. Help us fulfill the gay agenda by giving this episode a share or writing a review. Stay safe and thanks for listening.